You're listening to an On The Move Media Co. production. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie On The Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with age group triathletes Hillary and Tom Williams and bringing you their incredible story, thanks to Ironman. Last summer, Tom was racing Ironman 70.3 Muscle Man when he suffered a heart attack on the run course, right in front of his wife, Hillary. Tom survived to share his story, thanks to his wife knowing CPR, along with a few other athletes running on the course that came over to help her while waiting for the emergency vehicles. Today, it is their mission to help educate other athletes and spectators on the life-saving benefits of CPR especially as Tom is an emergency medicine physician. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, You Can. Are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to give You Can a try. You Can utilizes steady-release carbs instead of sugar, so you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. It's been years since I've been able to use gels until I discovered You Can Edge Energy Gels. When you're out training and racing for hours day after day, it's nice to have smart fueling options to boost your performance. Plus, they taste great, are the right consistency, and you don't need to chase them with water. My favorite flavor is pineapple. Also, UCAN's award-winning Edge Energy Gels last longer than other gels, less for you to carry. Top U.S. triathletes Olympian Katie Zafaris and Tim O'Donnell, along with marathon runners Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Kira D'Amato, all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and recovery. Level up your race and training nutrition with UCAN. Go to UCAN.co slash Marnie to redeem your free, exclusive Edge sample pack. All you pay is shipping. And to save 20% off any UCAN products, head over to UCAN.co and use our code MARNIE. Now, back to our conversation. Hillary, Tom, it's so wonderful to meet you and to have you here today on the podcast. Thank you for being here at MARNIE on the Move. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. This is so awesome. So last summer, July, 2023 we were all up in geneva upstate new york in the finger lakes and we were you and i we were racing ironman 70.3 which is a great race at muscle man ironman 70.3 muscle man it's one of my favorite races Uh, it was super hot it was super hot day it was like you were way ahead of me (laughs) i was still on the bike right when everything happened But I remember thinking like we had like another hour until the skies opened up and it started raining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were watching, mm-hmm. you were on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, you were hundreds of athletes competing. It's mm-hmm. historically an amazing race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was out on my bike riding and I started coming into the run and I saw 
and heard all these sirens and helicopters and I started seeing police cars and ambulances and fire trucks and all kinds of things that were like, oh my God, I hope that person is okay. Like, I hope they didn't crash on their bike. Like, that's what I was thinking because, you know, at, at these races, things do happen. And I had no idea what was happening, but I can only imagine yeah. in my mind. And here we are today. That was you. It was, yeah. So yeah. what happened? Walk me through what was what was going on. Um, well, um, during the run portion of the triathlon, um, I had an event um, in which uh, one of the arteries in my heart developed a dissection. And what that is is a tear in the artery wall. And it's called a spontaneous coronary artery dissection. It's uh, unfortunately for me, very rare. Um, right. And it happened in uh, one of the blood vessels of my heart. And when that, when that tear occurred, it, it created a small flap in the artery. And that flap blocked blood flow and essentially gave me a heart attack. And as a result of that whole event, I went into cardiac arrest. Um, and fortunately for me, uh, it was right in front of my wife, Hillary. So um, she was there, uh, saw it immediately happen, and uh, started CPR. And she was the first person to start CPR. Uh, and her and another woman, uh, Barbara, a- Brenda. Brenda. <laughs> Brenda, uh, a uh, nurse, um, or former nurse, I can't mm -hmm. remember. Um, they started CPR, they were the first people to start CPR, and uh, essentially uh, saved my life. Uh, and did CPR until um, a few other um, runners uh, were able to stop and also provide CPR until the uh, EMS crew arrived and transported me to the hospital. So That is amazing. And yeah. you're also an emergency medicine physician. I am. So yes. this is something you know a lot about. It is, unfortunately, yes. I, I, we see this um, quite often uh, in the ER. Uh, so to be on the uh, other side of this event is certainly uh, an eye-opening experience. Well, I want to say that I do think it is so incredible that all of these athletes, and this is like a testament to our community in the world of Ironman and triathlon, and were able to help you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that new CPR. Yeah. I mean, that's like not something that everybody yeah. knows how to do. Yeah. So that was that's pretty incredible. Like. Well, I got incredibly lucky that uh, two of the runners who stopped were also physicians and one and the third gentleman was a, a firefighter I think or a paramedic um, similar. yeah so they all had medical training and were thoughtless enough to or, or they cared enough to stop right. their own races to, right. to help me and that really you know speaks to the, the um, kind of goodwill that they had and the the generosity that they showed to kind of forego their immediate race and just kind of help me. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was amazing. So. That's pretty incredible. We spoke to some of them afterwards and one was even um, on track for a PR and he's still like willing to stop 
yeah. you know, we, he had like 30 minutes left of his race, so he yeah. was still willing yeah. to stop for 10 minutes and give CPR, and then they yeah. all finished the race too, which yeah. is incredible that yeah. they can just jump back in and finish their triathlon. Yeah. That's amazing. Did you, like that, did you feel anything strange like leading into that? Like, do you have a history of heart disease, like anything? No, no history of heart disease, um, nothing. Um, uh, as far as what I felt leading up to it, it's, it's hard for me to know. I don't remember anything from the race, to be honest. Okay. Um, Hillary can give more information about what I was doing right up to that, but you know, unfortunately for me, my memory of the race is limited to a couple of fragmented memories, and then you know, 48 hours later when I woke up in the ICU. So. So you don't remember anything from race day, like the morning, waking up, none of it? I have one memory, and it's of uh, the first transition, getting onto the bike. Uh, I went to change my Garmin lap from the transition to the bike. Right. And I hit the lap button too many times, and it stopped the bike and went into transition two on my watch. So I remember being very annoyed with myself <laughs> that, that totally I ruined, yeah. ruined my, my timing for the, the race. So. For some reason, my mind remembers that and nothing else. Um, so that's the only memory I have of the day. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. better than like yeah. feeling awful, right? <laughs> yeah. And like that week, the week before, like any nope. anything? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing out of the ordinary. It was um, this event. It was just a, a completely sudden, random event. Um, you know, like uh, um, you're episode with Tim O'Donnell, he had, right. a, he had a heart attack, and um, the way he describes it, it was from buildup of plaque, which is the most common cause of heart attacks, where you just have a, a gradual development of plaques inside the arteries, and then one causes a blockage. And sometimes people do have pain leading up to that, where right. you know they might have early warning signs or things like that, but with something like what I had, it was a, just a sudden tear in the blood vessel. There's no warning, you know, no... Um, you know, trigger. There's, you know, there's nothing that I could have identified as, you know, something uh, imminent coming in. So, um, unfortunately for me, it was just a, a completely random, sudden event. And what do you, has this changed? Like, as an emergency medicine practitioner, has this changed your approach to looking at people and patients and just yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, it gives me a lot of sympathy um, for people who go through this now. Yeah. Um, it's not pleasant waking up having somebody done chest compressions on you. I mean, my chest hurt for probably a good couple of weeks. Uh, and fortunately for me, they didn't break any ribs, but that's a very common occurrence when you do chest compressions on somebody. But the pain was still there. So um, I definitely have sympathy for anybody who goes through not just that, but the whole hospital process. I mean, right. I woke up two days later not knowing what happened or where I was and um, having to have my wife Hillary explain it <laughs> over, over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so it, that, that it's a very disorienting process and a very um, difficult transition to you know, your pre-event and post-event life. So yeah. um, I'd certainly have sympathy for you know, anybody who goes through any sort of major medical event. Yeah. Hillary, tell me what happened as a spectator. 
Like what was going on with you? Sure, so I had my two and a half year old with me. Um, so we kind of hung around that start finish transition area all morning. We saw the swim start, the transition, bike transition. Um, luckily there's so many playgrounds in the area. So yeah. we kind of bounced around and the playground. Cream. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was a, it's a great, great place for spectators to hang out. Um, so we saw him on the um, run a couple times and we were close to the turnaround point. So we saw him at mile one and then again at like mile, I could be wrong on these, but like six and a half or something. Mm -hmm. um, and mile one, he looked great and he gave us high fives. Everything was good. And then when mile six, he looked a little slow, a little rough, looked a little tired, um, but he kind of uh, perked up a little bit when he saw us, gave us high fives. Um, and as soon as he passed by us, my son and I packed up the stroller and started walking towards the finish line. And that's why I was still like cheering for him, go Tom. And then all of a sudden I saw him start walking. I'm like, ooh, that's weird. That's not normal for him to start walking at the end of a race. And then I saw him go into the porta potty and then come out and I was like, oh, that, he must be having stomach issues, something like this is not good. So I finally we caught up to him and kind of put his hands on his knees and I was like, you're doing great. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Keep going. Come on. And he's like, I don't feel good. And then he laid down. I'm like, no, come on. You got to get up. You got to keep going. And, you know, now I feel really bad about that. Oh, my but, God. Uh, that's silly. Just trying to cheer yeah. him on. Um, yeah. So that's when he laid down and looked very pale and um, didn't look like himself. And then he kind of went a little limp. And then he started. I thought he was having a seizure. So we put him on his side. Um, now I know that was myoclonic jerks, which is kind of a common thing with a cardiac arrest. Um, and then the saint of a woman came over and helped me put him back on his back and start chest compressions while I gave rescue breaths and just screamed for help and hoping anybody could come near us to help out. Um, still a little emotional for me, but um, yeah, we're so lucky and fortunate that those runners stopped and started C like continued CPR and um, had so fortunate that the um, EMS crew and the ambulance was so close and so that was such a fast um, response time to bring the AED and have EMS come over and was able to use the AED on him so you know if this would have happened anywhere else any other time it could have been minutes or more um, that he was able to have service and help and luckily the ambulance was so close so that all happened so quickly which is yeah. great we were so lucky for that you you are super lucky and so smart to know what to do is Thank that you. like is that just are you also a doctor no i um my background is athletic training sports okay. medicine so i do have a little bit of that um sports medicine background so i i've taken cpr classes luckily for the last 20 years of my life um, okay. so i kind of knew that early response is key and just starting chest compressions so quickly can be such a game changer. I feel like everybody, I need to take a CPR class. Yes. I feel yes. like everybody should, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an idea for Ironman to like maybe give people like $20 off a race or pay for it or something just so like everybody is that. prepared. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right? Like yeah. just because you being able to help it was probably made all the difference. Yeah. I mean, you basically yeah. saved his life. Like, That's what I tell him. I if, remind him that <laughs> all the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's over for you. <laughs> yeah, we've gone over this a lot already. We, yeah. Uh, I owe her my life, and she'll never let me. <laughs> That's good. Yes. That's good. Um, 
But even for bystanders too, like yeah. just having a bystander jump in and know what to do and that early response time is, is key. I think it's honestly like when I heard your story um, and I, I had simultaneously got an email from someone, I'm a yoga teacher and they were like, I'm starting, so I haven't done it. And they were like, oh, you should do a CPR course. And I did one years ago, but I don't remember how to do it. Yeah. Like, honestly, I probably wasn't even really paying attention. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it's not something I always do. Right. But now I'm doing it. And, like, I would totally stop to help someone. So what did you, like, what were some of the signs that you saw that you were like, oh, my God, we need to do CPR. Like, you needed help. I think just seeing him go limp and he had the, what I now know is um, myoclonic contract or myoclonic jerks um, and then he just stopped breathing and you could I I know him so well that I think I was able to recognize that easier or earlier than other people might have um, so just knowing him and knowing how he normally is he wasn't breathing and we couldn't find a pulse and um, just kind and of you did CPR things. from there yeah 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 it was very quick yeah and then you were able to get him breathing again or you had to wait nope. for so he didn't start breathing or we couldn't find a pulse until he was shocked with the okay. ad yeah got it yep. it's amazing that you were able to do that and then you know like as an athlete and i know that all of my listeners are probably thinking this and i'm 52. it's one of my biggest fears honestly to have like a heart attack on the swim mostly on the swim because i would just drown and no one would find me yeah. Um, it's very scary. Yeah. It's, no, I'm not. I'm laughing, but it's, it's really like yeah. it really scares yeah. the shit out of me. Even when I was 40 or 38 and started doing this, I was like always my fear. Um, like I always joke that I'm gonna swim with like a little buoy, you know, maybe it inflates based on like some weird thing. But anyway, like it's really scary. It's a really really scary thought, and it's not just triathletes. It could be runners. It could be anyone. And it, like clearly, like there's some part of this that's in your DNA, and some of it that is just purely nothing out of nowhere mm -hmm. and so I think like part of the solution is like you know what can you do if it is in your DNA mm -hmm. what can you do like what kind of tests can you do what can you you know look at and kind of get ahead of it since um, you're a doctor yeah, yeah. Um, I mean a lot of it is um, obviously kind of when we look at it from a medical standpoint there's modifiable risk factors and non-modifiable risk factors so right. The, the modifiable ones are things that you can control, such as diet, exercise, alcohol, smoking, that sort of thing. So, you know, if you are um, taking stock of your life and trying to assess your risk, you kind of really have to be honest with yourself. And most of the people listening to this podcast are athletes and they take really good care of their bodies. So, you know, this, that part may be under their control and, and they're doing everything they can. And then there's the non-modifiable risk factors. So age, sex, uh, and genetics are, are the kind of three biggest yeah. parts of that. So, um, you know, knowing your family history and, you know, talking to family members, sometimes it's, uh, you know, a little touchy subject or, you know, something that just doesn't come up very often. Um, it's important to kind of ask your family members, hey, you know, what did grandpa or grandma have? Did they, what did they die from again? Like, yeah. you know, was it a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, what, what happened? And then, um, you know, talk to your primary care doctor and you know discuss your personal risk factors your lifestyle and you know depend, uh, decide what to do from there so it could be you know seeing a cardiologist and getting an EKG which is just kind of the most basic test right, when they right. look at the electrical activity of your heart or you can go more advanced sometimes like a cardiac stress test on a treadmill 
for, uh, I think you talked about yeah. doing the, the... I did the calcium scan, the CT yeah. calcium scan, which yep. looks at... Yeah. It, I it, also got one done recently, too. Yeah, yeah. Those are, <laughs> you guys are so young, though. <laughs> I know, but... Like it, but you yeah. still... I yeah. was very nervous after the yeah. event, and of I course. didn't want to yeah. that. Yeah. I think it's important to know what's going on in your body. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I and mean, it, that's all data points, right? And you right. got to put those together with the help of your, your doctor, your cardiologist, and kind of come up with your kind of uh, overall risk. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, obviously. But, you yeah. know, having that data is helpful for you going long term, knowing, you know, what, what else to do. I mean, sometimes it's medications maybe, you know, a lot of people are on ba daily baby aspirin or a statin medication right and those are all things that you should discuss with your with your doctors um, but the first step is making that appointment and getting in to see them and um, you know going through the steps and it's sometimes it's a, a difficult process and not everybody wants to um, face those potential risks um, right but you know if you if you know what you're facing and then you can take uh, steps to modify those so um, the most important part is just to, you know, like any race, it's just to take that first step, right? right. Just get in there and, and go. And now, well, I didn't ask you this, but how old are you? 40. I okay. had my 40th birthday in the hospital, actually. Wow. Yeah, it was four, four or five days. July 13th? My, uh, 14th. 14th. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, so okay. it was right before my, uh, yeah, right before my 40th birthday. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, so and, uh, you know, like, that's... 40 <laughs> is not a typical age for someone to have yeah. to go through that. I mean, yeah. usually it's, you know, in their people in their 50s. I don't know. Is that true or for having well, a heart attack? For a heart attack, it's typically uh, a little bit older. Um, now we are seeing, you know, the age creep down, um, you know, as um, kind of population demographics change. Um, right. But... Um, classically, you know, it was people in their, their 50s and 60s who were uh, the most at risk for heart attacks. Um, for what I have, the uh, coronary artery dissection, um, the data is a little more spread out because it is such a rare event. Um, so, you know, it's harder to pin down a good, like, age group on that. Right. Is there anything you could have known? Nothing, no. right? Nothing. No. And so what, are, what is, the, are there more, like, I know Tim mentioned he did another test that was like a little bit more advanced than the CT calcium scan. Mm -hmm. I um, think he might have had a, a, a CT coronary angiogram, a CTCA. Okay. Um, I actually had one done as well. Um, it is um, uh, a, it is a different uh, CT study, and it, it looks at the blood vessels of the heart um, and gives you an idea of um, some of the the plaque buildup. Um, the densities and the likelihood of progression. So it gives you a lot more information uh, in a different way than the calcium score does, but they're all useful uh, to kind of gauge your overall risk. And did you have anything? No, my coronaries are perfectly clear. Wow. Um, frustratingly. Yeah. Have good for me on one That's side. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. So, knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what are some signs of a heart, heart attack in women and men that, you know, people could look for that are the classics that maybe my listeners yeah. would be interested in knowing right now? So the classic symptoms, chest pressure, uh, pain that radiates to your arm, radiates to your jaw, nausea, lightheadedness, um, those are kind of the classic symptoms. And unfortunately, they apply more commonly to men than women. Women actually present more with uh, nonspecific symptoms 
discomfort, maybe a little bit of um, like reflux symptoms or burning sensation. They don't often come in with the classic crushing chest pain with radiation to the arm or the jaw, those sorts of things. So um, it is a little bit harder to identify uh, cardiac events in women than right. in men. But that being said, you know, you should kind of, you know, if you're worried at all or suspicious, you should go to the hospital because, you know, we you see know. Uh, every shift I see at least half my patients are there just for chest pain and almost all of them are perfectly fine. But that you know, there's no way to know that going in. So it's right. always better to get checked out if you're ever questioning it or if you have risk factors and you have some chest pain, you should get checked out. You shouldn't finish your Ironman triathlon like Tim, Tim did. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but a lot of those things are things that you feel anyway, right? When you're racing, like you feel nauseous, you feel tired. Yeah. Your arm could be, you know, yeah. I sometimes have like my fingers mm -hmm. or my toes go yeah. numb on the bike, yeah. you know. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'm just keep going. Yeah. Like I just loosen the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, exactly. whatever. Yeah. And you know, when I, I, I keep talking about Tim because I, I listen yeah, to that podcast. But he's someone in our community yeah. who has really brought a lot of yeah. awareness. To yeah. This, so. And he's. I, I loved your podcast with him. It was really cool to, to hear his side of the story. And obviously, you know, he and I are very different on an athletic spectrum. Right. Uh, but we've gone through a similar medical um, transition. So, um, you know, I, I, I understood what he was going through when he was thinking about finishing that triathlon. Because as an athlete, you do want to just kind of keep pushing through. We've all gone through yeah. sprains and strains and, and all those musculoskeletal things that you're you just push through. You want to get to the finish. You have a good time, and you want to keep going. And I, I completely get that. Um, but you know, uh, especially you know, with Tim, he had no risk factors, or he had genetic risk factors that he may right. or may not have known at the time. Um, but it's, it's still important. You know, if you feel those things, if you feel something that your your body's telling you something different. You know, if yeah. you've done a lot of triathlons, and you've never had this sort of pain, especially anything in your chest yeah you should like always get it, yeah you should always get it checked out <laughs> yeah um you know it's it you know it, the, the risk is just so high that you know you don't want to you know yeah. risk being able to do any further activities i feel like muscle man was is a good race though because you know you there's you're never really alone yeah like there's always people around and you're like yeah. really it's yeah. not like you're in the woods exactly. remote yeah. you know that's really yeah. lucky yeah well yeah. we've i've done that race one other time officially and one other time during the COVID when it was canceled, okay. I still went out and did the, the route on my own. Yeah. So I, I've been to there, been to that area. I love it. We would love to come back uh, and do it again. Um, but it is such a good race because you're, you're almost always within eyesight of some sort of medical professional. You know, yeah. the, the bike course is a great loop and it's, it's beautiful to run just the same. You're always, you know, around some sort of population density. So yeah, you know, it's a great race. By. Yeah, love I that. do feel like, I definitely feel like, you know, after doing all the Ironman races that I've done, when you do other races, you'll, you see like Ironman, they're just so on top of yeah. it with this kind of stuff and yeah. safety. So yeah. um, I never feel like really alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think, and it's amazing. And now Hillary, you are, you're, are you doing your, you're doing your first 
triathlon. I am. And I you am don't jumping into the triathlon world. I'm so excited. I was signed up for Muscleman before COVID. COVID hit. It was canceled. So that was my one sneak into triathlon world. And then I had a baby and kind of took some time off. So what's your athletic background before so Ironman? I have a running background. I've been a runner since I was little, but did a lot of ultra, um, a lot of ultra races um, in the past like 10 or 15 years or so. So then I had my baby and kind of took some time off of running and now I'm very excited to get back into it and kind of find my athletic self again. That's amazing. So what's your first race that you're doing? So my big race for the year is Lake Placid Ironman, and then okay. I am planning on doing Western Mass 70.3 as well um, as a like tune-up and good train, great training race for the Iron, full Ironman. And what inspired you to kind of like get back into triathlon? Sure. So taking care of a two and a half year old is takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So um, with Tom's recovery, he's kind of taken a step back from doing a lot of time intensive training. So that has allowed me to pick up and train a little bit more, which is great. So he'll take care of the baby a little bit more. And then I had a friend convince me to sign up for Lake Placid Ironman and just kind of go for it. So wow, that's we amazing. are um, training together and I'm very excited to just get back to doing something for myself too. So yeah, I'm excited. That's awesome. And so you, you have a, are you in a triathlon club or you have a coach that's helping you along the way? Yes. So I'm part of T3 with Kevin Crossman and then Rachel Waller is um, training me this year, which I'm excited about. So what's the training like so far? Like, where are you? I start February 1st. So very close. So we will jump into it. So have you, what have you been doing in the off season besides so, being a mom? <laughs> just trying to get more consistent. So definitely getting back into the pool a couple times a week, getting on the trainer a few times a week and running yeah and are you do you like it are you having yeah, fun yeah it's been great yeah yeah very fun um and so what are some of your goals like with your racing this season just to finish just to finish yes, yes. and just enjoy the process too it's so many hours it's such a time commitment that just trying to enjoy it and um because my friend is doing it spend time with her and we have two kids and um, or they have two kids, I have a kid, and they play together, and it'll be fun to do training together and try to fit in, fit it all in. Yeah, and so what's your, so where do you guys live? You live in this climate, right? So we're yeah. upstate it's New cold. York. It's <laughs> cold. Yep, um, Glens Falls area, Queensbury, New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. So are you gonna start running outside now? Like, that's the plan, right? Yeah, have you been, I, yeah. I really enjoy running outside, so I will run all winter, and I cross-country ski, so that'll be a nice cross, cross-training activity too. Do you have any tips for layering in the winter weather? Like what are your secrets? Oh man, um, just find nice base layer, nice windproof jacket, yeah. good gloves. Yeah. We found electric hand warmers, yeah. which are great. Ooh, yeah. that's cool. Those are helpful. That's cool. And Tom, what about you? You, uh, you on the way back to getting back into the sport of Ironman and triathlon? I am, um, uh, at the moment, uh, because of my recovery, I have to kind of limit the uh, level of exertion that I that I do. So uh, I'm slowly getting back. I can uh, exercise uh, kind of at a moderate intensity now. So um, you know, I'm just back on the on the bike trainer and on and running, and I'm doing all the same kind of activities I was before, just kind of at a lower intensity uh, for the time being. What like when did you start training after your heart attack? Um, it was a slow process. It was it was difficult to transition back. Um, 
the easiest part was just walking. Um, we live near a very nice trail system, so we would go out um, walks together um, as a first part of the recovery, and then I transitioned back to running and biking. The getting back to running was actually kind of difficult. That was the scariest part for me. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I got back on a bike kind of early. The bike was easy to transition to because I did some cardiac rehab and you go into a, a rehab facility and it's specialized for, for patients recovering from cardiac issues and they have these wonderful nurses there who watch over you and are there if anything were to happen. So I can right. sit on the bike and pedal and I could uh, you know, do some other activities. But I was actually very nervous to get back running again because I just, it, there, was a, there was a block in my mind or there was just this reluctance to kind of do the same activity that I was doing when I actually had my event. So it actually took me a while. It took me about four or five weeks to get up the um, nerve, I guess, to, to kind yeah. of get back running again. I was gonna say, like, how are you doing mentally? Because it's scary, like. Yeah, I think me the mental challenge was the biggest thing that I went through, the hardest hurdle to, to get over during this whole process. Right afterwards, um, there was a lot of anxiety, depression, things I've never really experienced before. We've all had like bouts of it from time to time. Right. But I had this really prolonged and sustained period where you know, I was really anxious about things I've never been anxious about before. There was definitely some depression. Um, and it was a lot of work. I went, we, I saw a therapist. You know, I, I, you know, had to talk to somebody to to try to get a way to work these, you know, feelings out. Right. Um, and uh, it 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 was a lot of work. It, it was a very difficult time. Probably for the first six, eight weeks or so. Um, it was that was the hardest part. After that, it slowly kind of came back, and I feel mostly back to normal from a mental health standpoint right now. I'm kind of, I'm back at work, I'm back exercising, you know, everything kind of seems back to where it was before. Every once in a while, like, there's some, like, stress or anxiety or depression that kind of slips in. Um, but for the most part, you know, I feel, I feel pretty healthy all around now. Now, are you nervous to race again? Very much so, yeah. Yeah. So am I. I'm going to ask, yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. only race when she says I can. Yes. So. Um, this is new. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's always the concern. I mean, like Hillary, I did a lot of ultra events. And when you're doing those events, you're on your own for yeah. hours at a time. So to be on my own now when I'm exercising uh, makes me nervous. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that go through my mind when I think about what would happen if another event happened and you know what would happen to my family if that were to happen so there are a lot of um, reservations that i have about resuming activities that being said it is a big part of my life and it's something that i do want to pursue again so i think going forward it's going to be finding a balance between doing the activities that i want to do and still doing them in a way that's as safe as yeah. possible. It may not be completely safe, and there's always gonna be risk right. in whatever we do, but I hope that I can get back to doing a lot of the same events that I used to do while kind of maintaining that, that safety boundary, I guess. Yeah, 
And Hillary, how are you doing mentally? Yeah, I've kind of gone through the similar things that he has as well with, um, it was hard, it was very hard and scary in the beginning and I definitely didn't want him out of my sight for a, right. for a long time. Um, and unfortunately he's not a very like social runner or biker so he, he goes out for long runs by himself which is terrifying for me and right. I think that I'll always have some fear around that. Um, but him and I, we've also talked about how important exercise is to mental health and like that's that's how you stay healthy and that's how you get stressed out. And so I also think that exercising is so important for our mental health and that's a huge yeah. part of his lifestyle as well. So it's trying to maintain that balance of staying healthy and being smart and protecting yourself and protecting your family too. So I it's feel hard. like it's a hard balance to find. I can't even imagine and nothing has happened to me. So right now it's not a real thing that has happened to me, but I can't even imagine. I mean, when, it, so I just wonder if, I mean, I know that like Garmin has like an extra, I don't know what it's called, but you can get this like extra GPS type thing on your watch and it can alert people. Also the Garmin Varia, they're not one of my sponsors. I just like, yeah. there's the Varia that goes on the bike. Also, so we've yeah. talked about this as well. And I'm almost scared because I'm afraid he's going to like have a flat tire and, you know, stop for 20 minutes to change a flat tire. And you're and gonna like, be he like, stopped, he stopped. Why did he stop? Why did he stop? What's he doing? You know, like something like that where I like go into panic and drive there. And then he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, I was just standing here, you know, so. I feel like it like some kind of system. Yeah. I, I just, I have a system. And I, like I said, nothing has happened. Like I go out on a bike ride. I'm a lot of the time I'm by myself. I mean, I'm not by myself. There's cars, there's people. Yeah. I'm riding my bike on 9W, like, but I'm not allowed to call my partner unless it's an emergency. I like Otherwise I text her, but I text her like every, you know, 10 miles. I'm like, I'm, you know, if I call her cause I once crashed on my bike and I called her and that was it. Like, she's like, you cannot call me. Because if you call me, I think that you are crashed right. or someone is calling me from your phone. Yes. Yeah. I'm like here, I share my like phone location yeah. with her. Yeah. I mean, it's silly, but like, it's I mean, it's yeah. safe. Yeah. You have to be safe. I mean, yes. nothing is going to happen, but you never know. Yeah. So. I, usually, I usually share uh, like where I'm going to go. Like, hey, yeah. I'm going to go on this loop today. And yeah, but you do 50 mile loops. And well, not, not much far. anymore, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Fifty miles, yeah. couple hours. Yeah, yeah. In the future, yeah, it, it, at least to give an idea of, you know, where I'll be, just so you know where to start looking if I don't show up. Reassuring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but this isn't even something you can prevent, right? So right. it it is what it is, right? Yeah. And it's just yeah. really scary. Talk to me about the importance of CPR and and how it how it helped you and how important it is for people to know yeah. how to do it. Um, the most important thing about CPR is how soon you start it after somebody collapses. And that's what I benefited most from. That's really what saved my life is that Hillary was there the moment I collapsed. Um, any delay in starting CPR will lead to poorer outcomes. So the sooner you can start CPR, the better the outcome will be. And the idea is that you're you're now pushing on somebody's chest and, and recreating that blood flow for them to get blood flow back, not just to the heart, but to the brain and to the kidneys and to all the organs that need that blood flow. So um, the longer you wait, the, the worse the outcome will be. And the same with um, uh, defibrillation, so using right. an AED. So if an AED is around, know how to use it and, and use it soon because the sooner you can get that heart back beating, 
the better outcomes will be as well. So, you know, everybody who, um, everybody who's listening, I hope will do a CPR class. Yeah, and I'm just, just doing one for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's really simple. You don't need to go through, you know, uh, an advanced level uh, CPR class, a basic CPR class, just learning how to do chest compressions. Um, the recommendations now for CPR are just hands-only compression. So just get on somebody's chest and start pushing. Um, that's but where on their chest? Yeah, so the the um, location is right in the middle of the chest, um, just above the sternum, kind of right between the nipples. Okay. Um, you just push above there, the sternum. Right on top of the sternum bone there. Okay. Yeah, and you just two hands uh, push um, at a rate of about a hundred beats per minute, and you can think about the song "Staying Alive." So you push to that rhythm, okay, and that helps you keep your uh, compressions at the right rate. So. You thinking about that song? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm yeah, like, you're right. Yeah, you got that rhythm. So yeah. that's, that's how quickly you should be pushing on somebody's chest. And, and that, hard. And hard. Yeah. So you push. can break their chest. Absolutely. You don't want to, but you can. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, it's a unfortunate side effect, but it will happen, and it's actually you know potentially a sign that you're doing good compressions is that you know you might break something. So don't be afraid to push hard, push deep, and push fast. So okay. Hard and fast, a rate of 100, staying alive. So you just and so what about like, uh, will you see the person like open their eyes and start breathing or like what are the, how do you know they're breathing? Um, I, that could be a stupid question. But <laughs> I just no, so um, it is um, something that we see uh, not very frequently, but certainly it's not unheard of is that people will wake up during CPR um, and that's a sign that you're doing excellent CPR. So. If they wake up and you stop and they fall back asleep or they stop breathing again, keep doing CPR. Because okay. it meant that you were doing whatever you were doing in the first place was working. It just might mean that you continue to do it until me medical professionals arrive and take over for you. But and they should be on their back. Absolutely, yeah. Person should be flat on their back on a firm surface. Um, try to get them into an area that has a lot of uh, easy accessibility because Hopefully, there's more than one person doing CPR. You yeah. can absolutely do one person CPR. It's easier if you can get two or even three people to kind of change out. And you know, it's it's not as easy as as a lot of people may think. It is actually a lot of work when you're pushing on chest, and yeah. you know, you'll start sweating. So you know, you want to maintain good compression. So if you can get multiple people circling, cycling in and out. Okay. How long could it take to? Um, it it could take a long time. It could take you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and it really, you want to do it until a medical professional shows up. Okay. Um, and the longer you can do it, the more chance that the person has of recovering uh, to whatever degree. Um, so, it, you know, you just have to be prepared to do it until somebody else can relieve you. And does it, like, is there a certain amount of time where it's like, it's done? Like, you can't do it anymore? Like, is it like... That, that's a tough question. Okay. It's very much situation dependent and okay. uh, the underlying cause. Uh, okay. So, you know, depending on what caused the person to go into cardiac arrest, um, we'll often make our decisions when to stop based on uh, a lot of factors, age, other medical issues, uh, mechanism of, of the cardiac arrest, those sorts of things. So there's not a good time that I would tell people to, you know, get to this point and then stop. It's right. very dependent. And I would, if you're a bystander and you're doing CPR, go until somebody else tells you to stop. Okay. 
And what about like things like salt or smelling salt or things like that? Like that's just if someone faints. Like yeah, that's that's like, that's, yeah. that's for four kind of people who faint and pass out. I wish okay. it was that easy. I wish we had <laughs> some sort of some kind of like mini like soon yeah. Apple will have a little device on the watch and you can like just like, yeah. do that to them. And yeah, like, they'll have their own defibrillator. Just come on, Apple, <laughs> do a defibrillator on the watch. Yeah, yeah. Get the patent now. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, this has been super awesome. Um, you know, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. This was really yeah. fun. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com. For more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events.